Please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 23 to 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Lord Jesus, let us see with the eyes of our heart by the power of Your Spirit the meaning that was put in this text and various others in Holy Scripture. May we see that, understand it, know it, and love it, and be freed by it to the glory of Your work of redemption, Jesus. Amen. In our journey through redemptive history, last week, as we are still laying a foundation underneath, as history is going to start to unfold, working through Genesis and all the way through to the end, we saw in this foundation, God shows mercy in the context of condemnation and sin because of the cross of Christ. Last week we saw because Jesus in His life and death on the cross was propitiating the wrath of God. He was absorbing the just punishment for the sins of all who would be saved in Him. But that is only one side of the coin of Jesus Christ's redemptive work. This morning, the other side of the coin, which is just, is precious. Last week we saw the negative. Christ took away from us something. Thank goodness. Condemnation. But He did not only do a negative work. He did a positive work. He lived as a real human being. The second Adam. And He did it perfectly so that His perfect obedience of faith throughout His life, utter dependence on God in His humanity, called perfect righteousness, would be given to us who are being saved. In the text we just read and we saw last week, look again at verse 26. It was to show God's righteousness at the present time. Why? So that God would be just, not sinful, but just in doing what He does here in saving people, that God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh, I hope that is not one of those $43 words that makes no sense to you. Or at least by the time you leave this morning. That word, justifier. The word, justify, or justification, or declare righteous. The noun in Greek is dikaiosune. The adjective righteous is dikaios. You see the same root. The verb is dikaio. When God does the verb, he, 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 he does an act. He justifies. What this is referring to is not something God does in a person. It means something He 
in the courtroom of heaven declares as a judge about a person. So when you say the verb to justify, well, that, what that means, exact same thing it means is this. God declares Joe righteous. Not merely guiltless. Righteous means He acts that way. Again, it is not something He does in us. It has to do with a legal standing before the law of God. It's something He declares. God does all kinds of things in every person who is being saved. New birth is an act of God that He does in a human being in producing faith. He fills, when He fills a person with the Spirit, that is a work God does in us. And constantly He's doing that in believers, in the battle against sin in this life called sanctification. Sanctification is a lifetime process from new birth to death that God is doing in a person. This precious doctrine called justification by faith is not something He does in us. It's something He declares about us. Now, on what basis does God declare Paul, this wretched sinner, justified, righteous? That's the main question this morning. On what basis? And the answer is this. Part of what we saw last week and what we'll see this week. Double imputation. I know another. That's a $68 word. Two things were transpiring. If you got last week, what you're supposed to get is that Christ took away the wrath of God because God imputed your sin to Him. He didn't infuse it. He didn't take this little entity called sin, if there is such a thing as an entity that exists outside of, a, uh, of another being. He didn't take that entity and put it inside of Jesus so that Jesus and His soul Himself became sinful and sinned. No. God imputed it, or in other words, he, in other words God, and somehow remained meaning just in doing this, considered it, or accredited it or counted Paul or Joe's sin to be to Jesus' account. And thus, he poured out his wrath. He imputed it, not infused it. And the other part of this double imputation is this glorious thing where Jesus didn't sin, but our sin was imputed to Him. You did not live perfectly nor righteously, and nor can you in and of yourself. You have no righteousness. I have no righteousness. But Christ lived perfectly righteous and His life is imputed. His righteousness imputed, not infused in us. I'm going to read just three basic texts. Hear this little introduction. I know, the $63 word and the $52 word. They're Bible and they're central. They are the core of what the Gospel of Jesus Christ is. They're not peripheral. Romans 3.24, Paul said, and we believers, sinful people, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul said, we know that a person is not justified... Ooh, there it is again. Paul seems to think this is very important. Is not justified, made right with God, righteous, as if not only you are guiltless 
that's gone, but you stand positively righteous, having kept the law of God from an obedience of faith perfectly without sin. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, stuff you do, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 excuse me, Philippians 3 9 and I want to be found in Him Paul says, not having a justification or a, a righteousness, look at me, of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God to me that depends on faith. Oh, that we get the Gospel right. Not for some intellectual, I can sign a statement of faith because it really matters in how you live and how you fight the fight of faith and battle against sin until you hit the coffin. It matters. What's the foundation, therefore? At the core of the Gospel, that God would declare wretched sinner like Joe who deserves an eternal hell. But he will say, perfectly righteous in my presence. On what basis? I want you to listen as I'm going to quote from most of Romans chapter 4. Nine times Paul uses this word translated into English, counted, or in the old translation, imputed, the word we've been using. It's the Greek word logizomai. And think about, as you are following along, listening and or looking, what is he saying exactly? What does he mean by that word counted to you or imputed to you? Romans 4, starting with verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was, here it is, verse 3, counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, declares righteous sinners, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as King David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts or imputes righteousness apart from what David does. We say that faith... I'm sorry, I'm down at verse 9 now. We say that faith was counted to Abraham, imputed to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it imputed to him? The purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believe without being circumcised, doing a work, so that righteousness would be imputed or counted or put to their credit. So the question, in those texts, when we as believers stand on Judgment Day and even right now before God, justified, on what basis? In these texts, does it mean that God looks at your faith and He says something about that faith? That faith in you, Teresa, is itself righteous. That's a good thing. It's, even I, God put it there. It's a righteous thing. And therefore, I declare your depth or amount of faith to be what it is. Righteous. That makes some sense? Abraham believed God, and it, the faith, 
was counted as righteousness. Is that what he means? Let me put it this way. Many years ago, I was 18 years old, I slammed in the back of some other young woman's car and crunched her little VW bugs. I didn't have insurance, 800 bucks. I made about $70 a week. My sister was dating a guy who literally comes from a millionaire family. I knew him too, and I said, can, you, I don't, you know, can I borrow $800 to pay this thing back, and every week I'll pay you back. And so he did. Every week I go back, I can only afford $50 a week. So one week, two weeks, three weeks, $50, four weeks, $50. I paid $200, and then he says, okay, that's it. I can see that you're faithful, and, and, and to, to pay in this back doesn't mean anything to me. So I'm going to count your faithfulness of the $200 to be righteous. I mean, $800. Is that what Paul means in Romans 4 about these texts? And faith was reckoned, counted as righteousness. Is justification based upon God seeing, recognizing true, genuine, saving faith in Christ in a person. And thus he looks at the faith and he says, that faith I'm going to consider to be perfectly righteous, even though it may not be, but it is the faith that I am looking at and calling or counting to be righteous. Is that what he means when he says, quote, faith is credited as Righteousness. Wish I can pause for 30 minutes, but I can't. So you just think about it. That's not what Paul's teaching. Justification is not God looking into the heart of Joe Lemay. Look at that. His, he loves Christ, my son. It's real. He believes in Him. I see that faith, and I'm going to say about that faith, righteousness. I'm going to impute it to Him. Here's the core of the Gospel. Besides last week where wrath is taken away, God credits, imputes, puts to the account of everyone whom He is saving his own perfect righteousness in Christ to them through their faith. Not he sees their faith as righteous and he imputes it to it. It is faith that is the connection to put a person in Christ and thus Christ in all that he has and all that he is in his person and in his perfect humanity Perfect living before God as Adam fell and you failed. He did not. It is His righteousness, not yours, that is to your account and your standing before God. Why does that matter? I hope it's not going on in this room. I know that in the church world today, this would be going on. Why the crud is he making such a big deal and nitpicking as about that sentence and what is accounted righteous? Oh, it's really important. I'll give you four basic reasons why. First, because and faith is credited as righteousness is really open to misunderstanding if you don't stop and think and throughout the whole Bible. Because it can sound like God is saying, your faith, that's real, that's genuine, you've got a love for me, you sing those songs and you mean it, that's righteous, so look at him, he's in good standing with me, because or to the extent of their faith. It can sound like it is faith being counted as righteousness. And it's important because it's not at all what Paul means. And more importantly... There are more and more voices even rising up within American evangelicalism writing books and saying that is exactly what it means. And it's crucial. It's the core of the Gospel. They're well-meaning people. Let me give you an example. Robert Gundry 
professor at Westmont, entrust me. The stuff that filters down in the church and it's here today because it started ten years ago in the seminaries. It's just how it works, always. Robert Gundry writes, quote, and he has always been recognized as an evangelical, conservative, Christian scholar. I, quote, he says, I joined the growing number of biblical theologians, evangelical and non-evangelical theologians alike, who deny that Paul or any other New Testament author speaks of a righteousness of Christ that is imputed to believing sinners. And he mentions, well, some of you want to know these people. I know him from my seminary days. James Dunn, Tom Wright is a hero of many evangelicals in his work. Good work. One more quote, though, Gundry says, I myself would rather say that God imputes or, or, or counts faith as righteousness. Just as God regards believers as righteous even though they are sinners, He also regards their faith as righteousness even though it is, an, it is opposite of a work of moral Yes, you haven't lived righteous, he would say. Yes, you sin. Yes, you are not in and of yourself perfectly righteous. But if you have faith, and to whatever degree, God sees that and He reckons that faith itself to be righteousness. That's the teaching. And it has and will have more and more everyday local church ramifications on what the Christian life is and how you're to pursue it. That's the first reason. It's liable to misunderstanding. The second reason why nitpick... Because Paul spent the entirety of Romans chapter 4 trying to explain what Genesis 15.6 means. Remember Genesis 15.6. This is Paul's text that he's dealing with. God comes to Abraham. Not Elizar, because you have no children. He's not going to be your heir, but one from your own loins will be your heir, which is impossible. He's beyond childbearing. His wife is beyond childbearing. And then it says, Abraham believed God's promise. And it was reckoned or counted or imputed to him as righteousness. Paul <coughs> spends Romans 4 saying, this is what it means to us Christians. Abraham was our father in the faith. God's doing to us in Christ exactly what He did to Abraham. And so, if we get it wrong... According to Paul, we're going to get the core of the Gospel wrong. Because that's what Paul was doing. You say, I love John 3.16. So do I. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him will have everlasting life. Right! And God sends Paul to explain exactly what's happening. So that you'll know it and love it and your faith will go deeper. Why is John 3.16 right? God gives it to Paul to explain. And Paul's doing it here by unfolding that text from Genesis 15.6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. If we get it wrong, we get the Gospel wrong. The big question is this. Justification, big legal term. And if you don't feel it now, come with me in, in your mind right now because some of us are going to end up there if we're... I don't know if you're fortunate or not how you want to die. You may be in a bed in your living room in hospice care with hours or days to go. You're going to think about it a lot more. What is my legal standing with God? Here's the question. Is that legal standing with God based upon you, your faith, how much you got? Or is it based on something outside of you? Christ. Life. That's what's at issue. The foundation of God declaring a person justified. Come and will be resurrected to eternal life. Sinless now. Perfectly righteous with perfect standing forever. The foundation is that's because of and always founded on someone in something outside of the believer. Christ's perfect life. And in that, the glory of God and 
the peace of us sinful saints is at stake. If you don't feel it yet, you'll feel it on a hospice bed. It's at stake. Not mine. And you'll feel it like I talked to one of you this week. Oh, I had nothing else to trust in. I can't deal or trust in my feelings and my sinful nature that was rising up as all hell was breaking loose around me. But the imputation of Christ, the Gospel, the Gospel, the Gospel got me through to this point. The third reason Paul says in Ephesians 4.14 Again, why do this, Joe? Why preach this way on Sunday morning? We should no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's supposed to be the Christian life. Paul's clear. God gives to the church the fivefold ministry, gives pastors and teachers for the equipping of the Christian, the saints, for the building up of the body. That we no longer be, as the wind blows and you're on the ocean and the waves lap over you, and that wind and those waves are doctrines. Go to your local Christian bookstore, they're all over. How are you going to know? Because we're all sincere. And it sounds good. Well, how is a bank teller going to know when they have counterfeit? What do they do? Send them to class after class about errors of, of money and what counterfeit? They don't. They have them handle the real, handle the real, handle the real, handle the real, so that when the false, the counterfeit comes, something's wrong here. Know the gospel. Just know the Gospel and you won't be carried around and knocked over every time some new teaching comes because you know the core of the Gospel. And when you hear good people talking about how to fight alcoholism and fight this sin in your life and they base it on we deny the imputation of Christ's righteousness. This has to do with sanctification. This is how you fight. Oh, just jump right on in. Paul says, don't be carried about. No, grow up. And the history of the church has shown ten thousands upon ten thousands of Christian people that have gone before you have survived on nothing. Everything else was gone but the reality of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. That's my only hope. Fourth, final reason. Why nitpick? Because impartation. God imparting, doing stuff in us is different and distinct from imputation. And you got to know the distinctions or Satan would just bam, bam, bam all over the place, confused. You'll be one of those people who think, well, I feel good before God this week because I didn't sin as bad as last week. You don't know the Gospel. You don't get more justified. If a person is justified before Christ, it happened once and for all time perfectly. Your battle against sin is another category called sanctification. And they must remain distinct. Oh, there's a battle. And fighting the fight of faith is a battle. Sanctification is a battle. Fighting sin is a battle. But that is a battle that is founded on, built on, stands on another foundation underneath it called the imputation, the accrediting to you of Jesus' perfect life. That's your life in front of God. Period. That's the Gospel. Now you fight. Impartation and imputation are different. They're distinct. Or, say, very close related. Justification before God. This declaration, legal declaration outside of you is distinct from sanctification. That's the work of growing in Christ. Holiness. Growing up. 
Repentance, faith, repentance, faith, growing. There are distinct. And the only, I don't know, my only hope to fight against sin is to know that as I wake up, that's right, my faith is real. That's it. I know you, that's faith real. But that's it. That's because you caused me to be born again. You put me in Christ. I cannot be more perfectly righteous before you legally than I woke up, even if I woke up sinning against my kids. What? If we confuse justification and sanctification, you may go about trying to do the so-called Christian life. You may try to be fighting battles that have already been fought for you. And what's important, you can never win them. Ever. Never. Ever. Ever win them. And this is why this is important. Because in the real Christian life, there is a battle. It is a lifetime battle. Christians that don't think they're in a battle are probably not Christians. There's a real battle, a blood-letting battle, if you live according to the flesh, your sinful dictates, and that's what is the dominant drive of your life, period, without repentance, without grieving, you're not fighting. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, Paul says, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a real battle. But the only way we Christians... Okay, how am I going to go fight today against the yuckiness of my soul that still remains right now in this mortal flesh is only... I can only be killing the sin in me that I know and am confident has already been killed when I was killed in Jesus. That's the Gospel. That's the cross. Justification, wrapping up what I've said so far, I'm going to look at a few texts, is not a work of God that He does in us. But it is an imputing, a putting to our legal account before the courtroom of heaven, Christ Jesus' righteous living. Perfect. That's ours. When Paul says faith is credited as righteousness, he does not mean that our faith is righteousness. He means our faith is what unites us to Jesus Christ who is risen and everything that belongs to Him, including His perfection, His perfect living, where Adam failed, he didn't. He lived it, fulfilled it positively before the Father so that that life would be to your account as a believer forever. That's what he means. Now, let's go back to Romans 4 for a moment and just look at the text and see if it doesn't bear it out. As I read verse 6 and I'll read verse 11, notice in the text here, faith is not the thing that is counted or credited is righteousness. But righteousness, perfect moral obedience, living righteousness, is the thing that's put to our account. Verse 4, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the One to whom God counts, what? Not faith, but He counts righteousness. He imputes to your account righteousness apart from works. Verse 11, Abraham received the son of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Here it is. So that righteousness would be counted to their account. To them as well. Righteousness is that which is accounted. Look at his analogy in verse 4 and verse 5. 
Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trust, that's faith, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In verse 4, notice, wages are not the work. And righteousness is not faith. The work earns the wage. Do you see it in your text? And faith receives something different than faith. It receives righteousness. So when Gundry and Many other scholars are speaking up saying what Joe LeMay just taught you is dead wrong. We don't think Paul ever taught it. You have to make those decisions. And I'm saying here clearly what you guys are saying that it is faith that he imputes to itself to be righteousness does not bear out. Look, look at chapter 3, verse 21 to 22 of Romans. But now the righteousness, ooh, wonderful, not of Joe, of Paul, but the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It is God's righteousness which comes to a believer through the means of faith. It is faith that unites a sinful person to Christ. And thus, it is through that faith that God reckons my Son Jesus Christ perfection to Tony's account. That's the Gospel. This is so confirmed, so, well, I'm talking like a teenage kid. So, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Listen to Paul now in the battle of uh, emotion in life like we hopefully all have. Philippians 3, 8, the middle of verse 8, listen to Paul. Picture Paul maybe on his deathbed in hospice care. Or battling terrible temptations this last week where he's being persecuted. For His sake, Christ's sake, I, Paul, have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ not having a righteousness. I'm going to stop for a second. We'll come back. Paul is emotional. He is passionate. He is vigilant. He doesn't think it's mere theology. It's his life. He's in prison when he's writing this for the sake of the Gospel. He's saying, this is what drives me. I don't want, he says, to have a righteousness. It's not my pursuit before God. got to feel that. He knows the temptation of it as a religious person. I fear having a good week and being used of God to bless or help someone in crisis. And I overcame most of my temptations to therefore feel more close to God because of it. It's dangerous because to the extent that happens, I get my eye off the gospel. Who is my life? Paul says, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order, here's my pursuit, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through my obedience to the law. But, that righteousness which comes through faith 
in Christ. The righteousness, not in me, from God, that depends on whether I'm a believer. On faith. You see it? When He says He aims to be found in, in, I want to be found in Jesus, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own. He means not even looking at, wow, in the last 25 years, I, the Apostle Paul, have really grown spiritually. Look at the stuff God worked in me. He says, I don't want to present that to Him. The righteousness he hopes to have is the one that consists not in his own faith, in works of faith. It is that which comes because, you see it, be found in Christ. He wants to be in Christ because only in that is what I really want. A righteousness outside of me. It's alien to me, Paul. It's not mine. It's not even the one that God is working in me in sanctification. It is alien. It's God's righteousness in Christ given to me freely through faith. The grammar and syntax are clear here. He is not saying here in Philippians, no way. Faith is our righteousness. No. But that because of faith, which God produced. I came alive to Christ. That's faith. I trust. I see it. Because of that, He united me mystically with Christ. Put me in Him. And thus, God in that way has granted me, clothed me with Christ Himself or His righteousness. It is an external, alien, someone else's righteousness that He banks His existence on. Period. And he says, that's the gospel. Let me give an illustration. This coming Friday, my son Justin's supposed to go to Cub Scouts. We usually leave at 5 o'clock to be there by 5.30. Say on Thursday evening, I say, Justin, tomorrow's Cub Scouts. By the time I get home, I can take a shower and be ready to go. You must pick up the backyard. All the balls, all the bats, put them in place. I want it cleaned up. You have to have, this yard must be cleaned up for you to go to Cub Scouts. Next day, I get home, drive up at 4.15 p.m. I notice that my wife and the kids aren't there and the yard is not at all cleaned up. I clean it. Spick and span. Five minutes to five, five minutes before Justin and I are supposed to leave, if we go to Cub Scouts, my wife and the kids drive up. I look at Justin. He's happy as can be, ready to go. Justin, do you remember yesterday I said that in order to go to Cub Scouts, the yard has to be cleaned up? And his face turns white. Tears start to well up. He forgot, didn't he? I forgot. And he's apologetic and he grieved. He just got out of his mind. He didn't plan right. It was his fault. It was his sin. And I say, Justin, get your clothes on. We're going to Cub Scouts. Look at the yard. It's cleaned up. You didn't do it. I did it. But I'm going to impute my cleaning of the yard and the clean yard to your account. I said it must be clean for you to go. And it is clean. And thus through imputation, you can go. I do not mean there. Your genuine repentance and tears and grieving, which does connect me to my son. I do not mean, oh, okay, the yard is yours. I do not mean the clean yard is your grieving and your repentance and being sorry that you didn't clean it. I mean that you're being sorry and that it did go away from you and I'm your dad and I feel for you. That connects you to me and through that connection, I give to you the clean yard. There is a distinction. Let's look at one more text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 
oh, hear it. Just let each word just ring. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin. It's last week's message. Who knew no sin? So that in Him we might become us dirty, scummy, wrath-deserving sinners would become the righteousness of God. That is stunning. It's almost too good to be true. That's why religious people have fought it throughout the centuries. It's almost too good to be true. I have to have something to trust in of myself. Notice again in this text is double imputation is right there in that one verse. Both are there. God imputed to Jesus Christ in His humanity something He did not do or have of Himself. Our sin. And then He imputed to us sinners something we did not have and don't have in and of ourselves. Righteousness. Which Christ had imputed to us. That's the Gospel. Alex, that's the Gospel. Know it, sweetheart. It's the Gospel. You won't hear this that clearly in too many of our churches today. It's the Gospel. This, The more you get this, you will start to despise when people say, Jesus, if you believe in Him, He'll fix up all your finances. You'll get this. You start living right, you'll start to hate it. You'll start to say, don't do that! His death, God's purpose in creation, is too central and important. You'll feel it the more you see what Paul's saying. Don't water it down. Don't turn church into just another business that's about getting more people as long as you mention Jesus. No. God means to glorify Himself in Jesus Christ through causing the understanding of the Gospel to be seen with the mind's eye and loved with the passions of the heart of His people. For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The key phrases are, look at it, the righteousness of, whose is it? God's. And the other key phrase is in Him. In Christ. It's clear. It's not our righteousness. That means even the righteousness that God works in your life in sanctification. That's something different. It's not that. It's God's. And the other thing is, it's not that your faith is deemed to be righteous. Uh, Your faith puts you in Christ. It unites us with Him, the only human being who lived without sin and positively in perfect obedience throughout His life, even to and through death on a cross. Adam failed, and all of us in Him have failed, Christ the second Adam fulfilled the perfect law of God on behalf of all who will be in Him. The difference is between inherent within us righteousness and imputed righteousness. Those That little comment there The difference between that nitpicking what are you saying is what exploded the Western church 500 years ago called the Great Reformation. It is at that was one of the core issues that split the church 
when in the West there's just one entity called the Roman Church. Protestantism, protesting, is saying the Gospel's at stake when they got back to the text. And they started reading the Bible for themselves in their own language. The Gospel! Look what Paul said by the Spirit. Something went awry here. It's what's at stake. Because it was true in the 1500s and it is true today. And I speak as one who was raised in the Roman church. I am protesting. Because the Gospel is at stake. For Roman Catholicism in the Reformation to today. Here's the difference. The declaration that a person is justified, declared perfectly righteous before the law of God, that is based on an infusion into the person of righteousness. And if the infusion is there, and you can see the righteousness, your morality changing, you're doing right, then God, based on that, declares you justified. Righteous. For them, in the debate in the Reformation in the early and mid-1500s, was that they denied there was an alien Righteousness. In other words, a righteousness that is outside of the, the sinner being saved. Someone else's righteousness. Alien to them. Not theirs at all. Totally alien. They denied that that's what it means when you're justified. That that alien, someone else's righteousness, is put to your account. But no, it's only to the extent that God, by yes, grace, infuses into you, yes, by His Spirit, and through grace, a change, and that change is producing different living, and you're being more righteous based on that, and to whatever degree, is to the degree that you are justified. I'm going to quote from the Council of Trent, which was the response to the Protestant Reformation around 1560 to 1580 in there, that Trent was going on. How do we respond to what the Reformed people are doing? Quote, this is Trent, and this was their position, and it hasn't changed. If a person considers his own weakness, oh boy, do I have it, and his defective disposition he may well be fearful and anxious as to the state of his soul before God. As because, they say, nobody knows with the certainty of faith that he has achieved the grace of God. How do you know you're justified? How do you know you're going to heaven? You can't. Kind of get a hope so. Depending on how good have you been, how much have you allowed grace to work in you and be good, depending on that as to the extent of your confidence, it rests in you. The official catechism of the Roman Catholic Church says, quote, justification detaches, this is something going on in them, detaches a man from sin and purifies his heart of sin. It frees from the enslavement to sin and it heals. Justification, they say, includes the remission of sin, sanctification, and the renewal of the inner man. So if you're listening carefully, this is where the big disagreement is. I have tried to make a big stink that justification and sanctification are distinct. They're ultimately not inseparable. You can't separate them, but they are not the same and you can't confuse them and they clearly do. The argument is that Paul, as opposed to what we just read, says the declaration of justified is based on not the infusion of righteousness working in you, it's based upon the imputation 
of righteousness that is alien to you. That this man, Jesus Christ, lived absolutely perfectly in dependence, a heart of faith, an obedience to the law of God, perfectly, without sin. He stood, as we saw last week, in our place. By imputation, God considered our sin on Him and punished Him. And now, believers stand in Christ's place of His perfect life and His perfections, clothed in Him where His perfect humanity is credited to us at the moment of saving faith. Once and for all. Romans 3.24 says it this way, we are justified by His grace. Chapter 4, verse 6 says, why? Because God imputes righteousness apart from anything we do. Galatians 2.16, we have thus been justified by faith in Christ. Not by works of the law, so that Philippians 3.9 says, so Paul says, my goal, my aim in life is to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that is in me, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I close with a quote from John Bunyan, the middle of the 1600s, the author who wrote The Pilgrim's progress. Bunyan says he had become a Christian in the day that I became a Christian and any of us become a Christian, all what we're talking about is what doesn't become crystal clear. You grow in grace. You grow through the renewing of your mind and you start to see such depths of wonder of Jesus Christ and of the Gospel. And he struggled and he struggled and he struggled over, am I good enough? Am I right enough? Is Christ working in me? But his own life. And then he says this one day. He says, quote, One day, as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness, John Bunyan, is in heaven. I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand, there, I say, was my righteousness. So that wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, He, John Bunyan, lacks my righteousness. For that was in front of Him, the person of His Son, I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ Himself. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations... Hear it, God. Hear it. This is sanctification. Now He's free to fight sin. And my temptations also fled away. So that from that time, those dreadful Scriptures, which they're all over, that threaten us, those dreadful Scriptures of God left off me to trouble me. Now I went home rejoicing for the grace and the love of God. Father, I pray that no soul in here will die without tasting the rejoicing and the joy that Your servant John Bunyan fell. Father, I pray that You infuse 
into us by Your Spirit the same drive in pursuit of Your Apostle Paul. That we would be so vigilant and desperate to be found in Christ on the Day of Judgment. Not having a righteousness of our own. But only having the alien righteousness, which is Your righteousness, Father, in Your Son, Jesus Christ, put to our account. And then we will know. You have promised that we would know what it is to glorify You by enjoying You through imputed perfection forever. To the glory of Your name, Father. To the extension of the truth of Your Gospel. And for the comfort of every soul in here, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.